With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Amazon is yes. kind of fixed. They're, well, it's they're, mostly they're, they're fixed, ca- They're right? catching up. You, three, this is how we know there's people watching the content yes. because it took three weeks and they mm-hmm. keep putting us off and pushing us off and saying, it'll be here shortly, which tells us there's people watching mm-hmm. the content yeah. somewhere on the they planet are approving it, which that are nice. approving every last little detail so and finally things have pushed Three through. of the new six episodes of season six are available on Amazon. The rest are pushing to Amazon this week. So then we are at Amazon's mercy to push all those out. By the way, we're adding the uh, Porsche Pinnacles, the 959 GT2 RS piece is being added to Amazon. No extra card charge there we're just charging you for the six and adding that one yeah so yeah. it will actually be seven episodes available on amazon prime in the next two or three weeks uh all of them will be available on vimeo in the next week or so so it is i i look i've pushed harder this year i'm actually i mean this uh, season i'm actually going to try something different yet again next season to continue to close the gap i want to give uh ideally we want to give the motor trend cable channel maybe a week preview time but after that, we want to get all of you guys watching it. Speaking of season six mm. on cable, thank you guys. You had many great responses. In fact, this is one of those cool times from a filmmaker perspective. The audience has liked what we did even more than we do. The the, the <laughs> okay. winter sports it's, car yeah, episode funny. has played really, really well. It it's was one of those really things resonated. We, we sure. were just like, for we sure. like it. We think it works. What do you guys think? You guys really, really like it. Thank you for that response. We're also seeing your reviews on Amazon and IMDb and also for this podcast on iTunes. All of that is mattering and it's all happening. Yeah, this thank is, you. This is great. The, the bots pick it up and it gets in the queues of everybody and this is very helpful. It gets helpful, recommended so thank more you. because you thank guys you. are doing those ratings. It doesn't yeah. matter how many we have. Yeah. Also, there was a question. You may have the person. There was a question or a mention on Hulu for this season. Oh, yes. Uh, we are being asked about our episodes being seen on Hulu, but I believe it's Hulu Live. I am uh, Here, scrolling for the question here's now. Here's our understanding, just so you clarify. If you've seen season six on Hulu, we suspect it's because you have, I believe what they call it, Hulu Live. Essentially, Hulu allows you to have an add-on, and now you are streaming your cable channels as if you had a cable subscription, but you're doing it through Hulu. Okay, this is Garrett Johnson mm-hmm. on Facebook. He says, how does the new live TV agreement with Hulu affect our view count and revenue from Motor Trend? And you notice there's only a couple episodes with labels coming soon. Yeah. Are we to expect all prior seasons available to watch no. there as well? If there's if you're a Nielsen family, it doesn't matter how you watch the content; it counts for the Nielsen number. So if you're a Nielsen family, we love you. So it all works either way. Mm-hmm. But there, here's yeah. the thing: what because media is so weird and fractured and streaming and not streaming and all of these things simultaneously right now, there are lots of ways you can actually see the Motor Trend cable channel, not the app, the channel. There's, I think, believe it's called PlayStation View, which is your PlayStation add-on that allows you to get live TV and cable. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, YouTube has YouTube TV, which is the same thing. Hulu has this Hulu Live. There are lots of ways that you can, you have cable programming that you streamed. I know that's confusing, but it exists. So if you're seeing, if you're seeing the Motor Trend cable channel in any way, shape, or form, you are seeing season six. We are continuing through March with episodes. Some are reruns of season six. Some are older ones. But we have many more weeks coming. Plus, they're coming to Amazon and Vimeo. I know we talk about this a lot, but because mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of confusion yeah. out there, thank you guys for watching, sharing, rating, all of that. We really appreciate Yeah, that is the biggest thing to keep in mind because these networks are really still figuring themselves out and their business models. <laughs> I mean, it's the automotive equivalent of the future autonomous cars and all their 
their code stacks will be different to figure out the autonomous mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. We're all using different sensors and code stacks and all this stuff to get to the same result. I don't result. like LiDAR, but I think LiDAR is exactly. awesome. Yeah. And we're, we're getting yeah. the same result. That's what's happening in the network realm right now. So continuing to rate review, that mm-hmm. will just keep the content on the forefront, uh, especially of all the networks as well. So thank you for that. There was a quick question. I forget who's who asked it here, but I saw it scroll by on Instagram about the most recent episode, and that was the Miata RF in the snow yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. versus all-wheel drive, an yeah. SUV in the snow. So it really sounds like that resonated with you guys, and that was a lot of fun for us to do because we were just – we're playing around. We're just Mm -hmm. kind of wanting to figure it out. We've talked about it all the time. And this was the on camera results of what we talk about in our just experience and daily driving in the, in the winter wanting to showcase what we've discussed before and actually be able to show it some way on camera and actually verify it visually, which was hard. It was fun. Yeah. It was a question about traction control. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And how I talked a lot about traction control off in the winter Mm -hmm, is really mm -hmm. the best recipe. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to have a car that actually you can turn it off. So what I meant was not in all situations. If you're cruising yeah, at 60, yeah. 70 miles an hour, sure, keep it on, yeah. you know, because of the road surface changing conditions. But it has to do with either stopping or getting going in, and, and it depends on the road surface conditions. Sometimes mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. snow that is kind of sticky and actually offers a lot of traction. Other times there's not. But let's say to get going, you want to kind of move the car a little bit. You want to rock the car. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're experiencing some wheel spin. The traction control sees that and says, oh, Wheel spin. That's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuts the power. It cuts power or it Mm -hmm. breaks the wheels and the car bogs. You Mm -hmm. can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And all you'll Mm -hmm. do is just sit there and just, you know, slowly screech forward and, you know, it won't give you the power that Mm -hmm. you need. Or maybe you're rolling along and you need to like goose the throttle a little bit to get around the corner. You, You know, slow speeds. I'm talking... 20 miles yeah, an hour, yeah. somewhere Na- in there. It's navigation speeds, what we're talking about, that get it movement and, and keep the momentum yes. going kind of speed. It's yeah, momentum. Yeah, yeah. So once that happens and then it detects wheel spin, mm-hmm. well, if you need power right in that instance when you hit a different type of surface yeah. and you suddenly need power and it detects wheel spin, it's not going to give you power. It's going to break the wheel. Or it's going to yeah. cut power, shift power to what it thinks the wheel needs power when that's not the case. So it really much depends on the conditions. And so Mm -hmm, we were showing mm -hmm. it in a low speed, getting up a hill once we're moving, but just to keep that momentum alive. Same thing down the hill in Mm -hmm. the episode. So watch that. See what you think. But it's not in all situations. I'm not saying at the start of winter, turn your traction control off. When it's springtime, (laughs) turn it back on. That's not what I'm saying. That's true. Well, the the other thing that's key about this that I think was the reason you kept talking about it is because when you are trying to find grip, especially getting going, you want the amount of power going back to exactly match the movement of your foot. With traction control on, there's another player there that is making decisions. And so your ability to apply power or not apply power is going through a filter. If you've ever tried to get a car moving in slippery conditions, you want to know that when you stab the throttle, it's going to give a little bit and then it's going to stop or it's going to keep going or whatever. So Mm -hmm. if there's a person out the window going, give it more power, you want to be able to feel like when you put your foot down, it's giving it more power. Without the car intervening and saying, whoa, too much power, too much wheel spin. I'm going to cut all that out. Moving on to a a piece of news here that's sort of interesting about Mm -hmm. Holden and the brand being announced that it's being discontinued. But more importantly, General Motors announcing that they're leaving all right-hand drive markets except for the C8 Corvette, except for the Corvette Mm -hmm. Stingray, which is kind of interesting. Now, there's going to be some slack taken up by in those markets by another unit to be able to do those conversions. So essentially, they're saying... 
we're leaving all these right-hand drive markets, but another unit, a business unit of General Motors mm -hmm. is going to be taking that over and, and okay. making right. those conversions available should you want them. But kind of interesting. They're consolidating a lot of things. They're, they're seemingly making noises like Ford has made in the past about you'll get the Mustang and the Mustang Mach-E, and you will like it. <laughs> That's it. And SUVs the rest of the time. The rest of you only deserve SUVs. It's going to be awesome. So I find that sort of interesting and you know something to keep an eye on. They're also closing the Melbourne Design Center. And interestingly enough, the head of design is Michael Simcoe, who is an Australian mm -hmm. and head of design for all of GM. And uh, curious to see what uh, he thinks about the Melbourne Design Center closing for GM. Kind of interesting. They're pulling everything back, yeah. I think, to the mothership in uh, in Warren, Michigan. Holden's a big brand with a lot of history and a big, you know, like a big Bathurst muscle car history. You know, it's, yeah. it's too bad to see it close down. But, I mean, you know, honestly, f for that matter, Oldsmobile was a historic historic brand, big storied brand. Like it or hate it, they've been around a long time. Yeah, for sure. That the name wasn't as well. good, but, you know. Agreed, agreed. Because it was already had old in the title. That's mm -hmm. a problem. It was already yeah. old when mm -hmm. you Yeah, there's new. that. But there's Not there's all of those things. But it's interesting to, to see them closing this. That is, in its own way, a cause for mourning. But hopefully, hopefully GM is going to come around and others are going to be like, hey, cars are nice. We'd love that. Yeah. On this podcast, we've got two things happening. We've got a topic Tuesday about the unri unwritten rules of the road for novices. Kind of a cool question coming from Matt. Also, we have a car debate coming up for Saul. He wants to take three cars. This is the wrong direction, isn't it, Saul? And maybe go to one. <laughs> it is plus, the direction. Plus, we have a lot of cool questions. Really cool. We love driving a great road, but we also enjoy time on track. No matter your skill level or interest, motorsportreg.com makes it ridiculously easy to find and register for track events all across the country. With over 7,000 events annually, it's the most complete listing nationwide. And if you're an event organizer, Motorsport Reg will help you fill every event with tools that automate your tasks, improve accuracy, and grow participation. Plus, there's a full-time support team who are there when you need them. Learn more and find events today at msreg.com slash everydaydriver. All right, let's jump into this topic Tuesday. It's from Matt R. writing to us a couple months ago, and I stored it in our Topic Tuesday queue because I thought it was interesting. Matt joined us for the 2019 meetup in Atlanta, and his sister joined him as well. So he flew down. He was in a Jaguar F-Type. Mm -hmm. I remember him. And he mentions cool. his sister had zero desire to drive, and he, well, drive spiritedly, and, and uh, she actually had more fun than she thought she would, which I'm, I'm glad amazed to you brought her since it was a all-car freaks gathering, and she's it not really was. into cars. You, you took a dice roll there. I'm glad she had fun, though. That's cool. Yeah, so he mentions that something she noticed, and it was at the driver's briefing after various runs, she noticed that everyone talked about how it was common courtesy on roads, like we were driving, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was common to pull over and let faster traffic go by. Mm -hmm. And she was surprised that everyone seemed to acknowledge this unwritten rule but that she, as a non-enthusiast, had never heard of it, wouldn't have thought to do so. Hmm. So the question hmm. Matt is posing to us is, what are some of the other unwritten rules of the road like that, and how can we communicate that to drivers who are just simply ignorant? Okay. It's very easy to you know, make other drivers mad, as you probably know, yeah. by just you know, little things. But ultimately, this amounts to being cool to other drivers, and we can only really speak for the U.S. version only as far as yeah, laws are concerned yeah. for the left lane for passing. This is not meant to be comprehensive by any means. And and there's a lot of folks who have talked about unwritten rules of the road and that kind of thing. But I thought we could co cover a few, and that really has to do with the left lane in the U.S., starting with freeways. Mm -hmm. Both Todd and I have seen this more and more. A lot of it is just 
as you said, just obliviousness, Matt, mm-hmm. and people not really being aware, whether it is a law or not, they're just still not aware. Many times it is posted, mm-hmm. slower traffic, keep right. I see that a lot. That sign goes by a lot of drivers, <laughs> as do speed limit signs. It, it just goes, goes by right while on a lot of drivers are currently in the left lane with traffic around them, yes. There is one state in the U.S. that does not have a keep right law in place, and that is South Dakota. Okay. okay. A few states There's do not enough permit... people to pick a side of the road anyway. <laughs> it just it doesn't matter, yeah. I suppose so. All right. A few states do permit the <laughs> left lane usage, which they say only for passing or turning left. That is Illinois, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and West Virginia. So that's fine. And, you know, we all know in driving the laws are there, but many times I just people just blow right through things and don't mm-hmm. even know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um <laughs> It's about trying to educate them while you're in the moment. Sometimes that doesn't work. Yikes. I have admit I've been in a position behind somebody, and I try to edge even farther left to show them my front headlight, mm-hmm. whether it's on or off. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, hey, I'm here. Could Hello. you just – I feel like it's I mean, sort of like you notice me back there. I'm not trying to do anything to you. I'm not trying to tailgate you. I'm not trying to – it's just my way of asking, could I come by? Could you mm-hmm. just let me by? Yeah. Sometimes that's worked. Other times, it's ha- it hasn't. But Sometimes know, it backfires and they purposely want to stay there. It does. It can yeah. backfire a lot. And sometimes I'm in cruise control and I'm just cruising and maybe I don't step on the brake soon enough. So I, it appears like I'm just flying in out of nowhere right up on their bumper, which I don't feel like I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I didn't turn it off soon enough. And so the closing speed is very apparent. People see me. Yeah. yeah. But then they take that as an aggressive move, which... I just shut off cruise control and now I'm going behind you at your speed. Yeah, yeah. And the next time you have the, the, you know, the moment to pull to the right, to let me by, that's all I'm asking for. But it's really difficult to communicate that to other drivers without making them angry, without offense. This is really is tough. This is the thing that strikes me about this, Matt. I think the problem that we have, especially in this country is the way ego is connected to driving. I'm not saying it doesn't exist elsewhere, but let me let me compare and contrast a couple of things <laughs> In here. many categories, racing, yes, freeways. Yes. But here's the interesting thing I was thinking about. I was thinking about the fact that when you get a driver's license, you just earn a driver's license. You have a singular category of driver's license for most people in general. I either don't have one or I do. There's no I'm still learning. There's no progression. Think about getting a pilot's license. Mm-hmm. There's st- steady stages of progression. But then after you have your pilot's license, you can get your instrument flight rating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then once you start getting classified for flying anything you want, now everybody's comparing themselves based on hours of flight time. True, true. There's no I'm done now in flight. There's no I've done enough and therefore I know it. But driving's not treated that way. Oh, there's a few way. pilots that way. I could anyway. That's fine. That's fine. But how many <laughs> thousands and thousands of hours do they have? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is the thing that I think is interesting about driving instruction is it's an on-off switch. You've either earned your driving license or you haven't. And mm. so I think the average person now, I'm talking about the average person with a driver's license, I think they look at themselves as equivalent to any other driver on the road, unless they are a driver who is admittedly, and I find that drivers do this, admittedly terrified of driving. But if you're not admittedly terrified of driving, and there is a percentage of people that are, mm-hmm. I think every driver just assumes, I'm just as good a driver as you are. But no pilot sure. with 1,000 hours is looking at a guy with 10,000 hours and going, I'm as good as you. That's not happening in flight. Mm. So interesting. What, interesting. what happens here is that we get ego connected to our driving because I have every right to be here. 
And, and I'm saying – Which they do. Yes. Which they do. But I'm saying all of us do this. Yeah. And we are all better drivers and better drivers to others when we do two things. One, we acknowledge that there are other people on the road. It's amazing how little that happens in a place like Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because we get in our little cocoon cars, and now this is our little respite. And we kind of – and I say we because I've done it. We zone out and are now unaware of others, which is different than I'm – trying to frustrate you or i'm purposely ignoring you of course i'm yes, not aware yes. you exist because oh, yeah. i am in my little cocoon and i've forgotten about the rest of the world and the more yeah. our cars become cocoon like i'm off on a separate rant the more this is the thing but when we disconnect ego from driving then what happens here is and this is honestly this is my constant struggle because i'm a guy that i drive generally pretty fast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so when somebody comes up behind me my gut reaction is, what are you doing? Going so-? And then I kind of catch myself. <laughs> Nobody go, passes me. <laughs> I kind of catch myself and go, you know what? If you're going to go faster than me, you get the left lane. Yeah, and, absolutely. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Yeah. Because yeah. my job is not, well, if you're going to go that, then I'm going to go that fast too. No, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to disconnect ourselves from ego because everybody has different driving backgrounds and different driving places of comfort. A 60 to you may feel fast. 60 to me may feel boring. <laughs> Get okay. out of the paddle. There's, could could there's, somebody push? Oh, I'm going 60. You and I spent the weekend in <laughs> yeah. Spec Racer Fords. Yeah, we did. To the point that 70 miles an hour partial throttle felt like, are we moving currently? <laughs> exactly. Am I stopped? So we had to recalibrate ourselves. Even. So I'm going to even come back to one other thing, and that is this is the benefit of turn signals. Okay. In what sense? Because what I feel like we all do when we get egotistical and self-involved behind the wheel is I'm not going to turn signal because I don't want you to know I'm about to take that space. I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to go into that gap. Oh. And then I'm going to turn when I want to because I'm a better driver than you. I'm just going to make this corner. You're not even going to have to worry about it. Mm. Folks, turn signals keep us safe. I'm, not, I'm saying you personally are made safer by using your turn signal. Absolutely. Because now you're not a weird mystery. One of the biggest things that gets talked and beat into our head anytime we're on a track is they say be predictable. Yeah, that's because you don't have you don't have typically don't have turn signals in your race car. Be predictable. Be where another car that's passing you or going slower than you expects you to be so that nobody hits each other. This is the problem with no turn signals, which is also ego because I don't want to share with you. Mm -hmm. I'm driving here. (laughs) Don't bother me. Yeah, but, it, but the turn yeah. signal is making you the driver safe because people around you are like, "Oh, he's coming over." You know, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Easier said than done to disconnect ego from our Completely driving. Completely, I is. don't think that's ever going to happen. It's very honestly difficult. speaking, it's a daily experience. Don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. So what we have to do is really come back to sometimes you're going to have to suffer. You're just mm. going to have to suffer back there behind the person mm. who is doesn't see you. Or is not wanting to share one of the two or some combination of both means that you're just going to have to take it for a while, however long that is. (laughs) But as soon as you do anything to escalate or try to get over or push on that situation, it is only going to escalate things. And that's where things start to go really wrong. So it's almost despite the laws in place, it's because of driver education and continually updating training, which doesn't really exist in the U.S. Once you have your license, you just renew it. Saying. Hey, yeah. I know how to drive. Mm-hmm. I've got this. I'm just going to renew it for 40 years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And yeah. new laws come into place or whether you're just not educated on, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know that law existed. How about towing a trailer in the left lane? Some people just aren't aware that that's not okay. 
actually in many states, most states, I believe, not allowed. Yeah. They just, <laughs> over there, pickup truck, towing a boat yep. in the left lane going, okay, do you not know or are you just being a jerk? <laughs> so it is education. It's us talking about it. It's us, mm. you know, talking about it on forums, on Discord, on car clubs, you know, every chance you get to help others and educate people. Look, what would you like if, you know, somebody came up behind you and you're think you don't know their situation. They could be on the way to the hospital. Yeah. They just need to get by. And if you start to play around with them in any way, you're starting to cause that problem. Don't do that. Well, just get out of the way and just swallow your pride and be like, look, you're exactly. faster. H- have at it. Mm-hmm. Whoever that person is, go and I'm out of your way. Let me let me help you. Yeah. The laws are designed to do that, but that just doesn't exist all the time. Totally. Even if they are being fast just to be a jerk, even if they're going fast, happily cackling, wearing their daily triple shirt. I don't know who would do that. But who does that? If they're doing all of that. The, the truth is it's, it comes down to level of comfort. Your level of comfort is not somebody else's level of comfort. For sure. For sure. And we're all I – know, I know this sounds staggeringly cliche, but we all theoretically are supposed to share the road. So the better communication and the better we don't – Worry about if that person is the driver we think they should be. There is that going on. All the time. You have a you should be up to this level. I'm at this level. Why aren't the rest of you at this level or and, whatever? And you may mistake your own level. That happens a lot too. One of the things that <laughs> true, I keep trying true. to remind myself of oh, it's often not hard. Watch this T V piece we just shot with these spec racer Fords. But the thing I I'm steadily reminding myself of is there's so much I need to learn. There's so many ways I need to be a better driver. Yeah. And while I, I do think, I, because of our life experience, I do think I'm a better driver than a good amount of people. Sure. There's sure. still a lot of people way above me. Absolutely. And so I don't, always I don't, somebody better. Exactly. So always. I don't know who you are as a driver. I don't know your comfort level. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about mountain roads. Same okay. kind of yeah. thing. If there's turnouts, we just need to pass the word and, and educate mm-hmm. each other on, hey, if there's a turnout and some traffic stacks up, whether or not there's five cars or not and traffic, you know, three cars behind, just pull off, mm-hmm. just let those cars by. And a lot of folks, you know, towing trailers and in RVs, they kind of already know this, yeah, yeah. but aren't you surprised when somebody gets it? Here's another example. That's how sad it is. The fact that when somebody actually pulls over, you <laughs> yeah. go, oh my gosh, they, they actually did it. All right. So let's talk about the on-ramp that is also an on-ramp, off-ramp for an exit. Ah. Okay? Yeah. So people are coming Shared, on, yep. they're merging on, and then and people the merge are trying to merge. And the merge goes the other way, too. To yeah, off, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I was coming on, and somebody was right at my left. They moved over to their left, one full lane, let me in, and then I could I got on, and then I could see in my rear view. Then they moved back over two lanes to the right and exited. Craziness. I was shocked. Yeah. It worked. They were just like, sure, come on in. But that begs the question, where on that entrance and off-ramp do you come over? Because mm. so many people set themselves up, well, I, I just got to get over because I, as soon as the white line ends, I got to get in there. Mm. Do you? Yeah. Do, do you? Yeah. You've got a, quite a distance. It depends on each. It depends on the exit, but I take your point. Each design right. of each it's, exit. It's it's not it's not a driveway connected to the freeway. It it's is an on ramp with merging room. There's You're right. A, yeah. a lot of times, you got a lot of space. You can let those cars that are coming on just stay over one lane before you, you're still going faster than them at that point. Yeah. You can still go around them probably two lanes and still make your exit Interesting just point. fine. Interesting point. So do yeah. we need to crowd everybody? Because that's where everything slows down. And then people coming up the on-ramp, 
who only drive 30 miles an hour until they hit the freeway, which is another pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Scissor merge. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, they they don't know what to do because you're stopped. Everybody's trying to do it right at that right at that delta, yeah. that V you're right, right there. There's not, there's not an immediate need. I'm slowing down need. trying to get off. I'm speeding up trying to get on. Yeah. And it, it never really works. So mm-hmm. think about that interaction as you slide to the right to exit and people coming on. That's good. I think there's, you know, they're designed to be pretty long for that specific reason because yeah. then once you do, then you've got, you know, a hundred yards and you're like, I could have, I could have waited. Yeah. Probably well, could've. it's the other thing that happens. It, it happens actually one of the merge intersections near where I live. When people see uh, two miles, mile and a half to an exit, they must get to the right lane immediately. Yeah, exactly. That's a, a mile to a mile and a half is is a long way. Even folks. at seventy miles an hour, it's, it's it, a long that, way. That means you've got about sixty seconds to make that move. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't have to do it in the first ten seconds of that sixty. It's letting you know you're getting close, mm-hmm. but also if you've been paying attention, you had a three mile warning and a two mile warning. I mean, you're right. Once you get to that, I feel like it's the one mile thing that everybody kind of loses their mind <laughs> and they have to get right. Half a mile is like, oh my gosh, the world is ending. And I have seen so many people stop short on, on 18 wheelers and get really tight just because they have to get over right now. It's just like if, you, if you've got that full mile to the exit, find an actual gap. Mm-hmm. Think about the scissor teeth. That's where the scissor merge idea comes in. Where can you fit in there versus must merge now? Which, which yeah. the other side of that yeah. though is don't merge so late that you're the guy that barely ducks the barrels and dive bombs it either. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, it comes back to what my dad taught me growing up in just about every situation. He just set the example. He said, I'm over here setting an example. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just setting the example and modeling for you what should be because you just heard me tell you that I noticed when this driver did that for me, Mm, I noticed mm. big time. So what will happen when we do that for other drivers? They'll notice. Mm -hmm. So now we're setting the example as enthusiast drivers and saying, all right, come on in. I'm waiting for you because let's say, you know, your driving skills are at a place where you can still get around. You still can maneuver and accelerate and your car has still has the ability to get off. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm fine. Come on over. I've got the situation here. You go ahead and get on. Great. That does have, you know, to use your turn signals and and, uh, letting other cars in and all that kind of stuff. Then there's the, sorry, side note, there's the L.A. disease. If you've ever driven in L.A., you've seen this, especially if you've commuted in L.A. Mm -hmm. People will not use their turn signals, but they'll do the L.A. point. (laughs) When you're sitting in traffic and somebody's trying to get into your lane, yeah. you're sitting in stop-and-go traffic. I, I've never seen this anywhere else. People will roll down the window in Los Angeles and point where they're wanting to get to. I'm and going I there. I always find it hysterical how many people will do that without having their turn signal on. And there's something about that point that is inferred in Los Angeles that if I pointed, I've claimed it. <laughs> you have to let me now because I gave you the point. Uh-huh. I've always found that fascinating. I mean, while I, I will admit those are low rent turn signals, I just find that that LA scourge to be riotously funny. Mm-hmm. All right, so a couple more here, and that is trucks, semi trucks. Please accelerate and pass with purpose. I'm not mm-hmm. saying jam the throttle to the floor, but just if you're already in the pass and then the truck goes down a slight hill and catches up to your speed, well, that's a you know eighty thousand pound truck now going your same speed. It's okay. It's it's gonna be okay. Just accelerate a little bit more and get out of the way of the truck. Mm-hmm. Don't hang out in their blind spot. Yeah. They will appreciate it. Don't hang out beside them. Yeah, beside it, them is even worse. It shouldn't take you a mile or two to pass a truck. 
It shouldn't. Agreed. It should Unless you're sitting in stop and go and you cannot pass. If you're sitting on a freeway at freeway speeds and it's taking you two minutes to pass beside a semi, you, you got to dedicate yourself a little more. This, isn't, this actually isn't safe for anyone. Mm-hmm. And finally, I implore you to stop texting. Oh, gosh. I passed yeah. a person with the phone on the horn button, the airbag horn button, propped up, leaning against the top rim of the steering wheel, and this person was texting as this person was driving on the freeway, I was horrified. So Mm -hmm. we do think that driving school equates to car control, which equates to comfortability in driving, which equates to better driving on the road. We do think that. That does happen. Yes, but in every situation, what we're talking about here is at some point, and, and look, I will point the finger at me, I think we've all done it more than we would like to admit, okay? But what happens is as you get comfortable in your car, especially if your car is designed for comfort first and foremost, what happens is we start to just kind of get lulled into this part of what I'm doing right now is fine. Mm-hmm. I can distract myself with, oh, I'm going to flip through all my CDs now. I'm going to get one of those trays where I can do desk work. Oh, look, I got a new email. We, we uh, think that the, yeah. the thing we're doing isn't important enough because it's going to all be fine that we can distract ourselves. Yikes. It's setting the example and upping our own game and Mm -hmm, just continuing to talk about it, which is why we're doing that very thing. Thanks for the question, Matt. If you've got more cars in the garage space, and we suspect you probably do, then you need to protect it with a custom car cover from Covercraft. We recommend the NOAA Custom Car Cover. They're each made to fit your car perfectly, and they resist moisture, but also breathe to eliminate condensation. It has four-layer protection for all weather conditions, and it protects your car from UV rays as well. The NOAA covers even have a soft inner layer, are made entirely in the USA, and come with a four-year warranty. In the worst winds we've seen, the NOAA cover stays put. Todd had one on the Lancer, and it kept the paint pristine in all conditions. I wore one out after nine years of daily use on my Audi Avant, and people always asked how I kept it so nice. Plus, you can defend your interior against kids and dogs and spills and any weekend adventure you might have in the mud and snow with custom seat covers from Covercraft. You can have the nicest car all winter long with help from our friends at Covercraft. And you can get 10% off your custom car cover and any Covercraft product by using the code every day right now at Covercraft.com. And it even ships for free. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com to keep your car looking its best. Happy Tuesday, by the way. We've got our car debate here after coming out of that cool topic Tuesday from Matt. We've got Saul who's asking a question about... Should I go three cars to one? Now, generally, we go the other direction. <laughs> we do. We, we, whatever how many cars you have now, we, we can add to your garage. But Saul has three things. He's got a 2006 Lexus GX470. It has uh, over 200,000 miles, but it runs great because it's a Lexus. This is the winter daily driver. This is the non-precious thing. Mm-hmm. Winter daily driver, Home Depot runs. I need to haul something. This is SUV as SUV was intended. That one is quite interesting. But then he has two BMWs. Yeah, well, he's got the right tool for the job in just about every category. The two BMWs are the 2014 3 Series wagon. He says, this is the nice weather daily. He's owned it for about four years, and he says, I enjoy driving it, but he's never quite grown to love the steering feel. Mm. And he finds himself driving the Lexus more often than not, which means this just sits in the garage, so he's selling That's it. interesting. Okay, all right. You heard that, everybody, right? 2014 3 Series wagon, if you're yeah, looking for Currently for sale, for sale. yes. Just wanted you to know that. All right, so... He also has the E36. Well, he's got a 1998 BMW M3, 
He says he's owned this car for 10 years. It's a weekend toy, occasional drive to work car, Mm -hmm. nicely sorted, tons of fun. After 10 years, he's ready for something different. Mm -hmm. This is also for sale. Yeah. So at least here's what's interesting is this three cars to one. Then he has multiple scenarios because he does want to sell both these BMWs. So if you're shopping for BMW, here's your here's your podcast. Uh, he does want to sell both those BMWs, but he's asking should the Lexus stay, or should he end up with two cars out of this scenario? The money here is pretty good. He's got around fifty thousand dollars. If he keeps the Lexus SUV, he's still got fifty grand. Yeah, that's a which lot. Which leads to an interesting question that I have a whole sub rant about, which is. His dream car is a Porsche 911. <laughs> so he's asking if he were to go Porsche 911 and keep the Lexus, which is one of these scenarios, should he get the 997? That is uh, 05 to 2012. Should he get the 997.2, which is the back half of the generation? It's actually like 09, 2010 to 12, I think. To it's 12, the, and then the 991 overlapped in 2012. Brief, brief sorry, brief, yeah. uh, brief Porsche education for myself and the rest of you that aren't paddling backwards in the pool of Porsche. Every car manufacturer, they release a model. Halfway through that model's lifespan, they release the refreshed version. Porsche has number designations for these. Whatever the model number is, in this case, it's the 997 Generation 911. The first half of its lifespan was the .1. The second half of its lifespan was the .2. So he's talking about the post-refresh car for that 997 911. Mm -hmm. Or should he get the first introduced version of the next one, the 991? Porsche doesn't follow basic mathematics in their numbering scale, and I still rant about it's, this. It's great. It's also but he's confusing asking this that question. it's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. All right, scenario two, he says, sell the current GX and get a newer 2013 to 2017 GX 460 or Toyota 4Runner. He's a huge fan of this platform, reliability and functionality. I mean, there's many people, and you know what people have discovered is, the Land Cruisers have shot up in value, and yeah. everybody's discovered the Lexus GX as... Oh, yeah, it's the same platform. It just has a Lexus badge on it. Mm, interesting. Maybe a little bit nicer materials inside, and you know, most of the parts are, are great. We're mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, he's looking at uh, maybe doing that and then buying a weekend toy for around $25,000, manual transmission. He was doing the usual suggestions here, E90 M3, 911 S2000, RS5, Golf R, something like that which are all good, mm-hmm. all good. But then there is the possible third scenario, which is sell it all. One ring to Try rule them all. To, exactly. Well done. Look at you with the Lord of the Rings reference. Hey, then he's buying one thing that would do everything he wants, which is both fun driving, winter driving, hauling, which means it's probably still going to be an SUV of some sort, which leads him down the road to things like an SQ5, the uh, X3 M40, which is almost an M version of that car, Cayenne, Durango SRT, uh, Touareg TDI, etc. So it's it's like the sporty SUV. Mm-hmm. Should he go that route and have that as his only car? And I personally can't uh, justify scenario three at all. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to jump into all three of these and address these, Saul. I okay. want you to right. own your dream car. I do. At no point anywhere in the podcast or TV episodes are Todd and I going to suggest not buying it. Mm-hmm. We might suggest others to look at just mm-hmm. as alternatives to and think about. But if that's your dream car and you know it is, we're not going to say don't go buy your dream car. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. any category, yeah, 911, Mustang, whatever that is, go experience that. We want you to. There's no real reason for delayed gratification if you can. True. true so true. Yeah. I do get it. The reason Porsche has always appealed to me is because it, they've seen exotic for not really exotic car prices, mm, even though that's mm. not really true. The the high-end stuff is really expensive. But that's why Ferraris have never appealed to me, because it's always just seemed like 
man, these are just so specialized. Feels and too out there. Spending $300,000 on a car, I just can't imagine that. And oh, okay. Porsches just seem dream cars that are accessible. An attainable thing. Yeah, They I really see that. do. Yeah, they're I just totally this high-end yeah. thing and still deliver the experience, and yet they're still somewhat mm, accessible. Mm. They're, I mean, some of them are not. I get that. Yeah, but you're right. But some among of them the, are. Among the brands that are looked at as somewhat exotic, Porsche is really the one that you can achieve. It straddles right. that line between, mm-hmm. could I at some point? Yeah. I could see myself doing that. Ferrari, yeah, yeah. I can't see myself doing that. Yeah. Porsche? Okay, I, I could swallow that. Sure, sure, sure. A lot of money, but... Oof, one, maybe one yeah, day. Okay, I see where you're so going. So it straddles yeah. that line, and that's why I love the brand so much. Mm-hmm. That's I love the the tolerances, the machining, the manufacturing. I love the the start to the company. <laughs> I love everything about it. Okay. Yes, you do. I want you to own that. Twenty thirteen nine eleven Carreras are fifty six thousand dollars. That's the beginning of the nine nine one gen. It is. Yeah, they're attainable. Mm-hmm. They are. You yeah. could. But as an alternative. I would be so happy with a Lotus Evora. I can't even tell you. I mm. do love the Lotus Evora. It is awesome. Yeah. At that point, Saul, you would have two Toyota-powered cars that are not Toyotas. Look what a you Lexus did. A Lexus and a Lotus. Look what you did. I'm quite surprised how at how often you will talk Lotus and I will talk Porsche. That is very bizarre. Well done. It's well because done. of the merits that appeal to us in different situations, yeah, which sure. is so for interesting. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, Lexus and Lotus. Yes, you could. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the Lotus is a take the place, but... What an alt. What a... Mm-hmm. I didn't see that like coming that. kind of car. Like it. I do like it. Yeah, yeah. And they are genuinely in the $50,000 range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that case, okay, maybe delayed gratification. Maybe you fall in love with Lotus of Ores all of a sudden and leave 911s behind. There's plenty of people who okay. don't have anything. They don't want anything to do with a Porsche brand. Totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have our thing. Okay, I like your scenario too, which is a newer SUV. And you're thinking the one you've got is 200,000 miles, runs good, but uh, what about something newer? This is kind of where I'm maybe gravitating. Okay. Scenario one and scenario two. Okay, so get get that you know SUV that you love. A $25,000 911 sounds perfectly good to me. Mm, I see it. I How see about it. a 996 911? Those are 25 grand all day long, Absolutely everywhere. Yep, yep, for up sure. Up one side and down the other. 25 grand, 996, sure. excellent, lots of fun satisfies the 911. But I, I, as a Porsche enthusiast, I get it. It's not the 991. <laughs> it isn't. I yeah. know this. Okay. All right. And so I might go, I might just keep the Lexus. I, I guess I'm gravitating towards scenario one. And I'm with you. Scenario three, one car to do it all. That's not where my head went. Especially since he's, to this point, he's had cars for the job. Saul's had various cars and yes. various things. I think you're going to wind up in that one size fits all shirt where yes, technically you're dressed. <laughs> well, it would be a Cayenne if I were to suggest it. Okay, all right. I really want to suggest a Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk. <laughs> Everyone, they're $75,000 slightly yeah. used now. Yeah. Just Terrifying. wanted you to know that. Terrifying. They're seventy five grand. The Hellcats are and coming plummeting. down. Hellcats are almost to that $35,000 lock your door range. Yeah, it's baby. Super close. I, I, Trackhawk, cackly good fun. It's just Ridiculous. fast everywhere. Ridiculous. The noise. Yes. It'll tow... Something. something more than a ream of paper and a It'll feather. It'll so, tow something and treat it like a flag behind itself. <laughs> Snap in the wind behind yep. it. That's, eh, it's not really the do it all for you. And if you do, I, I, Cayenne is, I'm all in on Cayenne because of what the car was conceived to be from the sure. very beginning. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Autobahn. By the way, hang a sharp left and take the dune. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Yeah, good point. That's, that's why. 
Good point. I really like this, Saul. This is cool. Good, good stuff there, Paul. I, I think uh, for me, Scenario 3 is out. We're not going to do the one car at all. Okay. I really gravitate towards Scenario 1 here, and I say that because this GX470 that you have, it's just, it's rough. you say it's rough around the edges, you don't care. It's not precious. It's perfect for that utility thing. Which is why he likes it. It's, exactly. He doesn't have to worry it about it. It still runs, but there's nothing precious about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think... What I'm concerned about is if you get a newer version, you're going to add a layer of preciousness on top of what that needs to do. That will likely happen. Just yeah. because it's the new thing exactly. and you are now worried about, well, does it run and I should keep this nice and I don't know if it'll stand up to this. You just know that Lexus GX470. Mm-hmm. So just keep it. Mm-hmm. That gives you that full 50 grand to play with. I think that's your scenario. I'm going to ask you some tough questions here, Saul. Okay. And they may not have direct answers, but I want you to ponder you say that that put now leaves you, if you take the scenario one, the GX470 stays, you're going to buy your dream car, Porsche 911. Now the question is, which one? I'm going to ask you this question. Why the Porsche 911? I'm sure you have a reason, but you haven't stated it. You just said, it's my dream car. I don't know, if you've, ever, I don't know if you've ever driven one. I don't even know if you've ever sat in one. Sure. Uh, those are unknowns. So right. my, my question is, why the 911? Is it just because it's the icon from Porsche, which is a valid thing? But you say no Cayman because you want the 911, but you don't specify any whys. Mm-hmm. So there's, and I'm going to speak to your 911 choice in a minute. You're, you're wanting him to confront the whys I, first, I, which he's not articulate. And I want you to Fair do enough. drive homework, even if you think you already know the why. Okay. Okay? I love your point, Paul. If you have a car you're dreaming about, you've always wanted. I mean, I've done it with the Lotus. You've done it with the Cayman. Get it. Go get that car. Yeah. Have that life experience. You may get to a place where you're like, I don't like this as much as I want. And you may go on to something else, and that's fine, too. Yep. Okay? Yep. You may love it and still sell it. But if, you, if you've had a, I've always wanted one of those, and now you can get it, go get that car. For Have sure. that life experience. It's something sure. you don't just dream about on a poster. It's in your garage. It's under you. You're driving it. All Do that. Okay? Absolutely. I get that. But let's unpack the 911 a little further before you buy one. Don't buy a 911 before you have driven a Cayman mm-hmm. and a Jaguar F-Type Good. and an Audi R8. All three of those are available for 50 grand. R8s? I looked. That's the bottom of the market. I found 50 them grand. for 60 recently. I was just 50? looking today. I found a page of them. They're for not 50. many. They're not many. They start at 50 and they go up. 50 to 60 is the real play area. But my point is... me. Totally. But my <laughs> point is... Go drive those because I think all of those, the Cayman, the F-Type, and the R8, they all do the same thing the 911 does in that it's an exotic sports car mm-hmm. that you really could just daily. For sure. For sure. Anytime you want. Okay? The Evora is a step, a little step more hardcore beyond that. It is. Even though you could daily. It's not the Elise. You could still daily yeah, it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those three. So drive a Cayman, drive an F-Type, drive an R8, then drive the 911s and have a real conversation with yourself about which one and why? Now let me go 911 real quick. The 997.2, generally, not always, generally the second part, the .2 second half refresh of Porsche cars are genuinely better. Not always, but genuinely. This is debatable, everyone. So there's that. The 997, I think, is a better 911 than the 991. My reasons for that are throughout our 50 years of 911 feature film. Mm-hmm. You and I, Paul, do not agree. Mm-hmm. But I think because of size and because of hydraulic steering, the 997 is a better 911 than the 991. This does not take away the fact that the 991 is brilliant to drive. Fair enough. So you're going to need to also drive both of those and figure out which 911 buyer are you. 
Boy, that's a lot of info, Saul. It's like like a, like a fire hose of info. Nine eleven buyer am I? What a problem to have. Mm-hmm. By the way, Saul, in case you wanted to know, I'm in scenario one. I've got an eight year old expedition, and I've got the Cayman. Good point. Do I Good want point. a nine eleven? Sure. Yes. Yes. But I've discovered Caymans. And for the next one, whenever in my life that happens, mm-hmm. I'm almost thinking about doing another Cayman. <laughs> I, I just love that platform. I know you do. I know you I'm, do. Yeah, yeah. I'm so all in. But then I think, well, yeah, but I've never actually owned a 911. Don't I want that to happen in my life? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. But, man, Caymans are great. There's a lot of life experience there. Yeah. They're f- for sure. And, you know, what about this mid-engine Maserati that's coming out in May? Mid-engine Maserati. Paul it's going to is... drop, and suddenly I'm going to be all in on Maserati, and everybody's going to be like, yeah, that is kind of cool. When Paul gets out of the pool of Porsche, <laughs> he walks through the Maserati cleansing shower. I don't know why this is happening. Okay, imagine your local pool. This is what's happening. Oh, there's some big there's, ifs there. If they come up I, with something cool and it's but but now but now Maseratis. Well. Granted, you still don't like the Levante or the Ghibli, I but don't. at the same time, uh, the the Quattroporte has has it's infected you just a bit. It's just, weird. Just a bit. It. Yeah, it's weird. When we're searching for cars for you, local or nationwide, our searches start with Auto Tempest. Instead of searching each car shopping site separately, you can enter all your parameters into Auto Tempest one time and then search them all at once. With Auto Tempest, you enter your search one time and see local or nationwide results from Cars.com, TrueCar, eBay, and many more. Or you can jump to Craigslist, Auto Trader, or Car Gurus without entering anything new. And they just added a link to Facebook Marketplace too. Auto Tempest can help you find your next new or used car if there's a dozen in your neighborhood or two in the country. So if you're doing your drive homework, chasing your dream car, or just looking to feed the disease, head to autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. Jump into questions over here on social media. Starting on Facebook, Paul C. has asked about the cars that we didn't get. Air quotes. The cars that we didn't get, I just don't get this car the first time we drove it. Like, okay. I don't understand right. it. What, yeah, yeah. What's the point of this car? You're not connecting with it. Yeah, totally. I'm, I get that. So, you know, what car took several drives for us to understand its inherent qualities? Okay. I spent some time on this list, Paul. Base Mini Coopers. Base Mini Coopers. Okay. All right. All right. Not, not seeing it. And you'll notice a theme here in a minute. The first Fiat 500 that we drove. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see that. N.A. and N.B. Miatas. I'm not sure you're still on board there, but okay. Are you seeing a theme yet? I am seeing it, yes. The Prius. <laughs> Have you come on board with that car? Well, not yet. Okay. I've got to say that because theoretically this suggests there's a turn. Anyway, yeah. There has been, but only because I figured out how to make it fast off the line. Anyway. As you have, yes. Here's another clue. All Corollas up until the current XSE hatch with the manual transmission. Okay. All, and I mean all Corollas. You're even going back to the old ones. Everything. Okay. That is power. I like small, but I need some power too. Yeah, you are I don't like that small guy. without power. You're right. That leaves me cold. Mm-hmm. But small with a little bit of power that just wakes everything up? Oh, that's yeah. True. That does change things for you. Yeah, that's right. Moving on to the Nissan Juke. Not getting it. Still don't. <laughs> Still don't. Most. I wish all of you could have seen the head shake that went with not getting it on that. That was it was spectacular. It was it was half the word. Yeah. Most CVs that don't do anything except hold people. Sure. I drive them. I think I, yep. I don't get it. Yep. I keep driving it. Still don't get it. 
But get this, Paul, on the other end, I like power. You know this. But how about the C6 Corvette ZR1 and Vipers? These are cars designed to be sports cars. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're heavy with power. They're not lightweight with power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I keep driving and I think, what a monster. Still not really getting it because mm. what do I want to do? Their lap time setting all time. The Viper ACR is a ring time record holder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. The Z- yeah, the C6 ZR1. Both Todd and I hurt ourselves. You've heard that story. <laughs> we hurt our shoulders because we snapped our necks, mm-hmm. jamming the throttle. And I think, all right, fast, lots of power. I'm not feeling a lightweight driving kind of feel out of these cars. Yeah, they're straight line monsters. But for the sure. most yeah. at the at the headline of the cars that are heavy with power that I don't get and I still don't get is the Nissan GTR. World class, world beating, mm, mm, okay. all kinds of power can crush pretty much every car you throw at it. Mm. Not that engaging to drive. Still not that ing- engaging to drive. I just I'm I'm thinking what a machine. What an accomplishment. What a pinnacle car. Mm. It was that way when it came out. I'm talking the R35, the most recent Nissan GTR. I still not really seeing it. It can crush just about every Porsche into oblivion under its boot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't care. Do you have any that you came around on, though? You didn't get, and now you do? Well... The Corolla kind of counts, but keep going. Very much the Corolla, but you add to any of the ones I first talked about. The Mini Cooper S, I'm all about it. Sure. The okay. Fiat Abarth, heck yeah, bring it. All right. The Fiesta ST, it's not a Fiesta, but it's the ST. And it, I'm not talking gobs of power either. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Still, that's still under 200 horsepower. Yeah. yeah yes, yeah. all day long. NC Miata, I finally felt like was a real car. And then subsequently okay. ND and now the RF with the motor. Yes, please. Okay. All right. So, well... Prius is still a little bit until something happens with the Prius, but you know how I feel about that. Rocket-powered Prius. But then the, the Corolla is the perfect example of didn't turn my head, wasn't interested, and then I drove it and I thought, well, okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're headed the right direction. This is, this is fun. This is, I like it. Yeah. That's crazy. I, it's hard for me to admit that. That's interesting. It's, All right. it's tough. But, Paul, going one more step. There's two separate categories. Cars I didn't get until I drove them. Ferraris. Okay. I got right. them, but I still... Like, they're expensive, and mm-hmm. Porsches are cheaper, and they still do the same kind of thing. And yeah. and then I drove the Ferrari Mondial, and I was like, what is this? Yeah, okay. I did, that did happen to you, for sure. That's interesting. Okay. Final category is cars I've driven, and I still don't get. <laughs> okay. The original Beetle. I drive it, don't get it. Okay. I All drive right. it. I still don't get it. Okay. I keep driving it. What? Still in the world of not getting it. Not getting it. Very funny. Okay. <laughs> All right. I have three real quickly that I thought of while we're talking this through. First off, rotaries. When I first drove a rotary, I was like, I, I don't get this. I don't get it at all. And then as I've driven rotaries from different eras, okay. and, I, and I'm, I'm talking RX7, talking- RX8, doesn't okay, matter. That, Just that was my question. Rotaries in general. Okay. As I drove them more, I started to go, not for me, but I get it. Okay. I understand okay. the the niche feel of it, the unique feel of the way the engine winds out, the very smooth delivery of power. After I drove them a little bit, I was like, I'm starting to understand it. I'm starting to get why this is a thing. It's not for me. And I think that's the defi- mm. deciding fact for me. Mm. I start to, to okay. understand something and get it, but realize it's not for me. Another one in that category for me, 911s. Interesting. 
I never got it. I'd driven like a couple before we did 50 Years of 9-11. Yeah, yeah. And we did 50 Years of 9-11. I really did understand it. I was like, I get it now. I still personally, with my proclivities, would still get a Cayman. That's, that's who I am as a driver. Yeah. Yeah, but we've driven lots of variants of the nine eleven, and I do have to say, when I drive it, when I drove a lot of them, I started to really embed myself. I started to go, oh, okay, all right, I do get it now. Sure, but sure. even even to the nine nine two, when I drive nine elevens, I never fully connect with them like I have with other cars. It's missing the rawness that you love. It's it's so yeah. refined at this point. It's but missing even, that quality. But even back to the air cooled cars, not quite connecting with me like I'd like. Okay, fair. But I, but I get it. I understand it, which is very interesting. So yeah. those two for sure. And then I, I had another one and it has escaped me. But anyway, those are two that I'm really going to land on for because those really struck me as we talked. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Damn it, Patton asked on Instagram, he said, what aspect of normal performance cars do we feel helped us the most behind the wheel of this race car, the spec racer Ford we were just in and doing that kind of racing? This took me a minute and then it dawned on me, man. It's being able to drive stick shift well. Hmm. I like that. We had people in the in the group, and also we'd heard from people that have been instructed on this before. They had one person, and that actually leads me to an alternate question here in a second. They had one person who actually was a 16-year-old driver who'd never been on track before and came to this driving school and learned stick while doing the race driving. I cannot imagine that. Yeah, for sure. And for I'm sure. not saying that I was fantastic at shifting these cars, but being able to shift a stick shift quickly and also being able to heel toe were two things that really helped that car start to feel normal. And normal, I'm putting in air quotes because it doesn't really feel normal. But it started to make it feel more like, oh, I get this because I had those two abilities. That does relate to, uh, we've got a question up here with layers of questions, but uh, Rick Dreyer has a few questions. I saw this. One of them is he said, recommendations on learning how to drive manual. I think you have to buy a beater car and just drive it every day. Unless it's a Saab and you fall in love with Saabs, like my brother-in-law, and now it's the precious thing that... Yeah, don't do that. But, but I think supposed to be the... I think you have to spend a little bit of money on a manual transmission and drive it a lot. That, will, that creates the subconscious level that's almost impossible, I think, to achieve unless you've owned and driven a manual daily. Mm, interesting. All right. David Elfring asks if track days are relevant for most enthusiasts. Oh, good. Would they, would we be better served starting with autocross? Quite possibly... The reason I think any of the above is relevant is to have another driver, a pro driver, mm -hmm. somebody who either knows the course or knows high-performance driving, ride with you to critique your driving style and evaluate you as a driver. Yeah. Now, not doing street driving. We're doing high-performance driving, whatever yeah. that is, yeah, track yeah. driving, autocross. So any of those, David, I do think are relevant because now you're that driver, that pro driver that's sitting shotgun with you, mm -hmm. suddenly gets you thinking about... Well, what if you braked later? What will that do to the feel of the car and the mm -hmm. weight balance mm -hmm. and start getting you thinking about the contact patches is really all drivers are doing. You're just managing the contact patch of yeah. the tires. Yeah, yeah. That's all I've ever heard is just this is how we're managing it. High speeds, low speeds, and then every input. What are we doing to manage that contact mm -hmm. patch? Mm -hmm. Among many other things, of course, yes, there's, but, but, there's but a there, list. But you're but, right. That is that is the key thing that it all comes back to is managing the weight shift and the contact patch. You're, you're all the thinking, time. Yeah. and now you're more in tune with. Okay, now what is what is the car telling me mm -hmm. in a in a situation? Okay, track, autocross, whatever that is. We want you to get that experience of having somebody with you to start showing you. Well, this is a better line. You were taking it there, thinking you were pretty awesome and all that. Let me show you a different line. Mm -hmm. Try this at a little bit higher speed because. 
Guess what? That'll settle the card. You didn't think it would. All of your body is screaming to stop and slow down <laughs> when that is the exact point to not add brake. You want to add throttle, which is antithetical to everything yeah. your mind is telling you. It's amazing. And magically, the car settles, and it's faster, and then you're suddenly in love with this newfound you know, exercise or whatever that is. I, I totally That's agree when you. driving experience and moving up in your skills happens. I love that, Paul. That's very right. I want to add to that because I totally agree. I actually think starting with autocross is a great idea. It's, it's a, a phenomenal idea, idea because I think the average person, and, and trust me, we've had this life experience, which is why we're looking back on it. I think the average person doesn't realize how capable, I don't care what you drive is, how, whatever you drive, how capable it is a modern car on modern tires. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't care if it's the Prius, if it's your pickup, if it's your family SUV, if it's your minivan. All of those are more capable than you think. Autocross can start to show you that. Then track driving shows you that more because the speeds come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what is very interesting that we've had at most of these, any driving instruction we've had is at the end of the day, there's a reason they don't do it at the beginning. At the end of the day, they'll give you ride-alongs with instructors yeah, right. The reason they do it at the end of the day is they don't want you to try to do <laughs> exactly. as fast as the instructor did. That's exactly. why these, these entry-level courses don't do that. But what's fascinating about riding with an instructor or a really fast person in your own car is you will suddenly discover there's, I guarantee you, 30 or 40 more percent of capability in whatever it is you drive than you even thought yeah. possible. You could get out there and drive all day and be like, I'm really pushing. Put somebody great in that seat and have them show you your car is a lot more capable than you thought. <laughs> Getting that kind of uh, education, whether it's autocrossing or tracking, that's what starts to open you up to, oh, there's much more here than I thought, and there's much more to learn. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, what do you get? Block 506 says, is going from a Honda Accord to a Porsche Panamera too big a jump? That's a and jump. if so, jump. what's the middle ground? What's the starter sports sedan? Uh, honestly, uh, Block 506, I'm not sure which Porsche Panamera you're getting. Okay. If you're getting a base one, why not? If you're jumping from the Honda Accord to the Turbo S, <laughs> that's a lot of car plus. It's yeah. a lot of maintenance cost yeah. if anything goes wrong. Yeah. I think if you got a base or an S, you'd be fine. But what I want to caution you on, and anybody that buys much more car than they've ever had before, don't go looking for the limits because you bought it this morning. This is why you see. This is why rectexotics.com exactly. exists. Okay, yeah, I bought exactly. the car this morning, and I want to see how fast it goes. And I have promptly spun it off the road and wrapped it around a telephone pole mm-hmm. because yeah. I got it delivered two hours ago. So, <laughs> if you if you buy it, if you buy a Panamera, and I think even you know get an S, that's fine. Work your way in, ease your way in, and if you can connect to where we just were, if you have the opportunity to take it and do some autocross or some track driving with it in a safe environment where you can try to find what it'll do, even better. You want to educate yourself on the car versus go out and just be like, let's open it up, because that's when stuff goes wrong. Stomp it flat. All right. Back9Ben on Instagram asks, what car's next redesign do we think could surprise us the most, good Mm. or bad? Mm. Any Nissan product. Any (laughs) Nissan product. Blanket statement. Moving on. We haven't seen anything at this point from Nissan, as of this recording, that indicates a new corporate style or detail that we can start expecting. Do you remember when the Maxima came out with that fussy little teardrop thing at the Mm -hmm. edge of the headlight and the taillight? Well, I think it was the 370Z that did it first, but what is this little flag over here off the edge of the headlight? Very good point. What's that there for? It's a sign. And then it proliferated throughout the entire lineup. Yep. We've yep. seen no little detail, no new corporate anything that suggests 
this is the new Nissan look. We've seen concept cars, but yeah. they're pretty vague and they look like just about every other crazy electric SUV. So, ah, it could be good. It could be bad. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for the good from Nissan. I'm ready for them to shock us and suddenly drop the what? I like You've that. You've been working on this the whole time? I hope that's the case. I do, too. I do, too. Instagram, Jared Rhodes said, okay, hang on. The Daytona 500 was delayed until today due to rain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we think NASCAR should consider getting rain tires at Drive in the Rain? Oh. This is his question. Uh, Jared, I actually am of, of the belief that I think outdoor sporting events, like big sporting events, should happen rain or shine. Football does it. Okay. Okay. I think I think if you're out in the open, and I and I do think, and I'm please don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. Windshield wipers on the NASCAR. <laughs> I am not. I am not saying. I am not saying that NASCAR drivers are not good drivers. I'm not saying that. But I am saying if you're a professional race driver, I think you drive to conditions. IndyCar does it. Formula One does it. We talk let's, about let's the best put, rain drivers in Formula One. Yes, let's put rain tires on. I'm not saying this is, you know, if it suddenly becomes a hurricane, let's pull everybody in. Okay? <laughs> let's get everybody off the course. There are levels or conditions. There's a famous story about... Driving um, through a typhoon. I won. <laughs> Where's <laughs> everybody? There's a famous story about Nicky Lauda after his comeback, mm-hmm. nearly, nearly dying, yeah. getting burned. Later in that season, he was driving, and there was a terrible rainy, rainy thing, and he said, I'm not doing it. And he came in and parked his Ferrari and got out very famously later in that season. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so I'm not saying there's no end of this, but I think in general, rain delay should not be a thing for driving. <laughs> Agreed. All right, two quick questions. Jeremy K asks if I wash the painted interior portion under the doors. Yeah, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> well, I don't actually open the door and wash it, but I do take the dirty spots towel and I take Speed Shine. Of course, and you I do. wipe the underside, and it's all clean. I wipe all the water spots out of it. I I'm absolutely surprised. do. And then Hal Bullock is listening. Were we able to find out any shareable information about the GR Yaris coming to the U.S.? No, no shareable information. <clears throat> Toyota said to us. <laughs> but that's a niche car. We said, we know, but there are also niche buyers. Uh-huh. That was kind of we'll, how we'll that see. conversation I, went. I'm going to yeah. tease you greatly, and uh, we'll, we'll see. 2020 is just beginning. Very, Let's put very it that funny. way. Guys, thanks a million for all your questions. We really, really appreciate it. Send all your debates, Topic Tuesdays, and car conclusions. And if you want to drop us a line, say hi. We do read everything. Yes, we do. EverydayDriverTV at gmail.com or on the website at the top right corner under the About tab is the contact button that syndicates to the exact same email address. All good. You can hit that contact button as well. Please rate and review the podcast. The consistent ratings are keeping this in the top 10. Yes, they are. And we appreciate your support. We feel like it's just a conversation with you guys and hanging out talking cars, which we love. So thank you for your questions. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.